Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast, where we're going to discuss some common fulfillment operations challenges and how to fix them. Our guests today are Bruce Strahan and Zach Hess, both of Argon and Company. Argon's a global management consultancy that specializes in operations strategy with a focus on logistics and distribution center design. Today, we'll touch on a number of topics related to warehouse fulfillment, particularly how to work with associates to adopt new processes and technology. Bruce, Zach, welcome to the podcast. I want to start off, Bruce, by asking, tell us a little bit about Argon, what the business does, what you get into, and maybe even how you started it, what pointed you towards this side of the industry. Yeah, Argon & Co. is a global supply chain consulting firm. We've got 16 offices, roughly 500 people. We cover a fairly broad base. Our emphasis out of the Atlanta office is largely on the logistics and other areas that come out of logistics, including planning, operations design, network analysis, strategy, and systems. We have another office in the U.S. It's in Chicago. The Atlanta office has been around as an entity since the 1990s. We joined Argon Co. in 2018. So we're a fledgling member, but we do many of the same things, but other offices do a lot more things. Got it. So your teams have some pretty substantial experience, it looks like, in terms of warehousing logistics. You've probably seen a lot of different things throughout the years. I want to talk a little bit about B2C business and especially fast-growing e-commerce or multi-channel distribution brands, for example, third-party logistics, where you're shipping goods directly to the consumer. What kind of problems do you see that these companies are really trying to solve when they bring you all in to help them out? Yeah, certainly an important question for us. I would say most often somebody is either in growth mode or expansion mode. They're looking for capacity, but a lot of times they're certainly just trying to become better at what they do. There are times when we come in when the system is broken down. They may have not moved along with the needs of the industry well enough. They may have problems with making the capacity work. They may have implemented a lot of automation that's not quite where it needs to be. But I would say the most common thing we're hearing is labor. So their interest in automation and technologies and things that can help them become less prone to deal with all of the labor issues, we're hearing that in almost every project. And I'll jump in when you talk about labor being one of the concerns I'm assuming you mean labor utilization, how many people you're using, how productive are they, how efficient are they? When you think about this, how often would you say using a technology, maybe it's automation, maybe it's robotics, how often would you say that's the answer for these companies? I think often, uh, almost everyone, there's an opportunity for some level of automation. But we start with understanding where the baseline ought to be, an improved baseline before we start automating what ought to be removed. We don't start there automatically saying you need to do this and that. It's really understanding the problem. We do analysis to try to optimize the process, putting items in the right places in the facility. Labor scheduling is a big part where we see a disconnect from the one end of the system to the next and trying to make a level flow happen or a level load happen. So all those kind of things we really believe ought to be done before you really start thinking about automation and which ones make the most sense. Makes sense to me. 
When I think about that, I'm thinking about where the spend is allocated. And it sounds, keep me honest here, that you try and go in and see the warehouse is really going to need what can be improved upon maybe before you spend on technology or large implementations, for example. Did I hear that right? You did hear it right. And so if they're looking for capacity, many times there's capacity that needs to be unlocked. And it could be space issues. It could be pure productivity. It could be the flow isn't happening well enough. So there's a lot of space taken up with staging and processes. It could be just a matter that the morning is really productive and the afternoon isn't very productive. So it's trying to level load and get everything flowing from end to end much better. And a lot of times that's one of the issues that people have when they go come from a traditional facility to a more automated flow facility. If they don't make the flow happen, it usually doesn't. And we see that a lot. You have to find A, the right level, but B, what can you correct before you bring in the automation is a big piece of it. Let's jump in a little bit on some of the automation projects. Do you all care to elaborate on some of the ones you've worked on? And then what I'm really looking for is what are some of the mistakes you see when the company does make the jump to maybe we're at a lower level automation or none and we started to fix our flows and we need to turn to automation, whatever it may be. What are some of the mistakes you see these companies making as they go through it, either on their own or maybe even while you're helping them implement Sure. I think one of the biggest ones we've noticed is a rushed acceptance testing. You really can't be too thorough during go live and before go live to make sure that the system is going to function both as intended and as expected. And second, after that, we noticed that a lot of operations are quite trained on how to use the system once it's actually been implemented. Um, and so we spend a lot of time actually learning how best to integrate the system with their current um, workflows and operations. That falls right in line with what I've seen. We've implemented all sorts of technology across the country in the buildings. And two of those topics, the training is a big piece of it, but then how does the technology work for the associates? And part of that, to your point, is the acceptance testing. I know in our experience, we go through round and round of acceptance testing before what I'm going to say is a go live where we turn everything on and everybody's utilizing the technology we can. Some of our learnings are maybe you look at a ramp up to your point, you go through that testing over and in detail and figure out what's going to make sense and what doesn't. And then to your point, bringing the associates in is a huge piece of it. That's one of the largest things we've seen that really helps is making sure the associates understand it. And I don't think it's so much them sitting down, watching videos on it, reading an SOP, but being able to get their hands on it from the start is something we learned was really important. For example, we've put in a few different types of automation, but if we jump 50 associates straight into a picking center with a different type of technology, you get tons and tons of questions at the time. And, and what I've seen is that can become very counterproductive. Do you have any specific stories about maybe a go live you all worked on and something went really poorly on it? And then how were you able to fix that? So we worked with one multi-channel operation that unfortunately we weren't brought in until after the go live. And that was when we realized that a lot of the problems they were facing were things that probably could have been caught in acceptance testing. The automation system wasn't actually achieving the rates that were promised. And one of the things that we then realized is we needed to take a step back and look at how they were balancing the flow through the building and allocating their labor around the system. So even when you treat the automation equipment itself as black box, you still have to understand the flows in and out and balance the amount of labor that you have in the rest of your operation so that you're being as lean as you can. 
I would add to that that a lot of times the the go live is done at a period of lower activity. And certainly in B2C, we see the extreme peaks happening in the fall and and holiday period. And so one of the challenges of a go live or a post go live is preparing for that peak in a situation that we might, in a big facility, we might be bringing in hundreds of people who are reasonably untrained in the sense that they're in there for maybe two weeks, maybe four weeks, trying to understand what they're supposed to do. And so you have this kind of issue is that during non-peak, you need to be productive, really productive. During peak, you need to have the capacity up so you're not disappointing customers because it takes seven days or it used to take two days. So I think that's one of the things we want to talk about is the gamification or thinking ahead of saying, what happens when we double the workforce or you bring in other 50 people in or we suddenly have uh, gift wrapping, different types of processes? What do you do to prepare for that? And we've seen a lot of that as well. To your point, uh, Zach, you touched on it briefly and uh, Bruce, you did too. When I think about it, it's what are all the auxiliary functions that you're going to have to do in that warehouse? To, uh, what I'm going to say is keep up with the technology. Again, automation may not eliminate your labor, but it brings associates into a different picking process. Maybe it's a replenishment process, but they're doing things a completely different way. And I want to highlight what we've seen is it can be difficult to get associate buy-in. I would assume you all have seen that depending on the technology, uh, how it's broadcast to the associates. We've seen they can go really smoothly or it might not if they don't have buy-in. And I know you touched on gamification. Tell us a little bit more about how that can benefit getting associates to buy in And then I want to touch on a little bit about game day, which is something I heard about from you all. But if you would, let's talk a little bit about how uh, gamification may help a warehouse. And I'd love to dive into even more detail. Sounds like you all have a different approach to it than quite a few companies that I've worked with and heard of. Yeah, absolutely. Funnily enough, as Bruce was touching on peak preparedness, this was the origin story behind where game days came from. We realized that We needed to almost stress test the operation. And you really can't do this too many times. If your peak period is in November, then you need to start running these kind of stress tests all the way back in as early as August or May and do a few more in the lead up to peak to make sure that the system and the workforce is ready. That was when we first came up with this idea of what we then called a game day is how can we gamify this type of stress test for this dry run. And then we realized that we could also use it as a way to experiment attempt to implement a new process or a new piece of software and gamify that experience for the associates. And this is critically important because when you involve the workforce and you involve your associates and you're asking for their feedback directly when trying to implement a new piece of software or a new process, you get much better results in terms of just their buy-in as well as them feeling as though they're really part of the goal. And so we've done this with varying degrees of fanfare, but you can really have fun with game days. You can break people into teams, almost make it competitive so that not only does everyone feel like they are part of the main goal of the operation, but they're also competing for success. Now, I want to jump in really quickly because I'm very interested in this myself. What does a game day look like? When I say that, how do you broadcast that to associates? What are you doing with the operations, with the personnel to try and get them to understand? You want to make this fun, but how do you actually represent the stress test and put this in front of the associates? I'm very intrigued by this. 
This certainly isn't something where we just come in one day and say, okay, we're going to run a stress test. This is something that takes multiple weeks of planning and training. So we will get all of the associates that are involved into a training room, ideally multiple weeks beforehand, and then certainly in the week leading up to the game day to get everybody aware of what the new process or software that we're trying to implement is, introduce it to them, fully train them on it, and make sure everyone is aware of what metrics we're going to be grading ourselves on during and after the game day. And then we have the opportunity to potentially grade people into teams. One example, when we implemented this for an e-commerce fulfillment operation, everyone was assigned different colored shirts depending on what team they were on. This was specifically in a picking operation. We allowed each of the picking teams to basically compete for what level of UPH they could hit during that game day test period. Again, varying levels of fanfare, depending on how you want to execute the game day. But the more that you can really gamify the experience, offer some sort of reward on the back end for the teams that achieve the highest levels of productivity, that all contributes to, again, greater levels of workforce engagement that we've seen be really successful. Are these companies using robotics, advanced conveyance, or, or is this um, something that's as simple as maybe you're just putting in a new picking technology, pick the light or RF or voice pick? There are a couple examples that you've seen in terms of the tech that this has really worked well for companies with. Yeah, a lot of our clients definitely have plenty of automation and conveyance. Although I think the way we've been most successful with using these game days is actually to implement the kinds of bespoke tools that we develop for them. And so I think, as I touched on earlier, a lot of operations, even though they have this advanced automation, they don't quite have the flow balance or the labor management figured out to a T. And so we'll develop bespoke tools that allow them to manage their flow and allocate labor in a more efficient way. And so when we do that, we need to make sure that the lead level, the, the people on the floor that are going to be using the tools that we develop to try to allocate labor more efficiently are highly trained on how the tool works and are bought into why it's important and how it's going to make the entire operation more efficient. Got it. When you talked about those, we talk about the game day as a whole. What are some of the most important factors in not just making the game day successful, but the rollout? You said training is a big piece of it. I'm sure modeling the volume, figuring out how to handle the labor are, but out of all the variables and the prep work that you see and the things that go into this game day, if you had to pick one thing that's the most important for the company to be successful, not just with the game day, but with what I'm going to call the large go live, what would that be? I would say the most important factor would be the individual engagement of your associates. The more that we were able to spend time out on the floor eating up to the game day and getting feedback on how a typical associate actually spends their time, what some of their gripes are what some of the things they like about the job are, the more that we can address those concerns during and after the game day and in how we develop these customized tools. One example I'll give is that a customer we worked with that has a large retail operation, the vast majority of their workforce is little to no English speaking. And so we were able to bring in people from our team that were bilingual and engage some various associates. We try to at least touch base with all of them if we can once while we're there and well, we'd have people coming up to us saying in Spanish, this is the most anyone has ever even really talked to me or asked me about the work that I do. So that had an amazing effect when we were actually rolling out a new process or a new software and trying to perform this game days. People are much happier and much more excited to engage when you actually ask for their feedback and you engage them on an individual level. One point I'd like to make is there typically isn't just one go live. We actually see a go live annually. 
an automated facility might be put in the first year. They're striving to get X amount of units out in the day. Three years later, it could be three X. So it could be with some additional automation and capacity, but at minimum, it's a new workforce every year because there is and has been a lot of turnover or at least incrementally, you could have 20 or 30% more people in the fall that were there in the spring and you've got to redo the thing. So the tools and the process need to be fairly robust in the fact that you're going to dust them off, you're going to do them again. And I think the idea that these tools need to be flexible enough to really go with the time. For instance, when you start out, if you have a high-speed sorter, in year one, you might be just fine with 60% utilization of all the pieces of the sortation and the final sort. When you really start maximizing your facility three or four years down, you might be up in the 90s. So every slot you miss, it's a lost capacity. It really isn't just a one thing. It's a continual improvement in that process. And it's a measure of how well the whole organization takes that in. I agree. Associate engagement, ensuring that, to your point, it may be a new go live every year. Those are key parts in any rollout. And where as a whole, we have a very similar look on uh, making sure associates understand what the technology is doing, how it's helping them, not just replacing them. We see that a lot. And then to your point, it's when volume doubles, triples, quadruples year after year with a large growing client base. How do you manage that and how do you ensure you engage the associates throughout the entire process? When I think about it, the unpredictable workforce in terms of especially temporary labor that we see is really tough to combat. If you had to give some advice for maybe a company that's getting ready to head into peak, maybe they've done this for years, but they're really trying to improve. What's one or two things you would tell them to focus on? Maybe it's start looking at technology now start working with someone to figure out how do you make your flows more efficient in the warehouse as a whole? What would you tell someone that's saying, okay, we see the labor demand is going to be tough. It's not going to be most likely any better next year or the year after. How do we prepare for that and get ready to manage that? One of the things that we often do when we have customers that are looking to prepare for peak is honing in on all of those places in the process where their capacity gaps, productivity loss. And that's where, again, using some of our kind of customized tools allow us to manage the flow, optimally allocate labor and reduce things like idle time. The more that you can make sure you're focused on productivity, then that lessens the burden. I would add, you said just one, but so we each have one. So <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> that's fine. We talked a lot about the associates, but we can't forget about the management people. We need them to understand the analytics. We need them on the floor, looking at things happening in real time. We need to know that if we lose an hour, we have a bad hour from nine to 10 and we never get that back, particularly in multi-shipped operations. I think the development of a really strong management force is extremely important and hopefully you're not turning them over at the same rate churning over the labor so they don't have to rely on just the consultants from Argonago, but they've also got people that have been there before they know the tricks they know the things they need to do they need to know how to manage people and the mechanical automation that they've got that's a great call out making sure everyone in the business knows how to use the technology is on board with it not just the persons that are completing the orders or replenishing goods or picking goods but the management personnel as well and then leadership of the organization it's a good call out 
I want to step back for a second. I think we had some pretty good conversation in there about a lot of the details, some of the fun things that you all are doing with gamification to ensure that warehouses are prepped for, let's say, a peak day or a go live or maybe a new piece of technology. But it sounds like you've worked internationally with a few companies. Can you tell me a little bit more about working internationally and then how does it work when a company wants to try and expand internationally? What are some of the things they can do to start looking into those markets or to be prepared for it? I know you've got a broad scope of what the business has done and what Argonne's capable of, but wanted to highlight maybe a company's branching overseas, maybe a client wants to fulfill overseas. How have you seen that be successful? There's a couple aspects of the international basis in the U.S. Part of it is that as we're increasing in domestic U.S., they're probably also increasing in Canada and maybe Mexico as well. So in some cases, the fulfillment is cross-border fulfillment. And in the future, as they grow, they get to a point where it makes sense for them to have an operation that's local as well. The same happens when you're talking about Europe or Asia. Just like we get ANC when our order goes out and it's not there and it's not there, so do they. So the idea of being able to have branch out into operations as we try to put some more saturation of our products into markets that are not domestic U.S. only, then we've got to think about the same kind of things. And they're dealing with labor issues just like we are. They're actually probably, when I'm talking about Europe, they're probably more accepting of automation from the get-go. Their social rules are such that it's, a person is more expensive in Paris than they are in the U.S. So there's types of things that I don't know that there's much difference, to be honest, other than the language and maybe their propensity to automate because they don't have the same kind of space that we have in the U.S., so they tend to be more space efficient because they have to. The cost per square foot per square meter is much higher. So I don't think there's that much difference, to be honest. I think they're dealing with the same WMSs. Many of the vendors that, that provide the mechanical automation are the same or they're using similar types of equipment. So I think there's actually, it's more similar today than it was 10 years ago. It's interesting you say that. I wanted to touch on thinking about where the business was, B2C, e-commerce, 3PL distribution 10 years ago to today. Lots and lots of changes, lots of pushes toward automation, robotics being one of them. Where do you all see technology, the business going in the next five years, maybe the next 10 years? Do you think we're going to see a completely different world of how goods are fulfilled? Or do you think we'll keep moving along at the same pace we are in terms of implementing slowly and trying new technologies? I think the level of automation and comfort within the U.S. has been driven by a lot of things, but certainly the cost of labor or the ability to increase by five to 15 times the kind of volume you want to get out of that piece of real estate in the fall time or holiday time doesn't allow you to do the same things you used to do. And there are more people and certainly in B2C than there were in the past. I think there is more comfort, not just with the automation, but also with third-party logistics. And so we were having, I would say it took us a while. Uh, 3PL in Europe has been pretty advanced, even though a lot of that was more on the transportation side. But the clients are working with today, it's not unusual for the main company to be the 3PL. So I think that's going to continue to increase as companies realize they've got a certain amount of money they want to put into their business, and it might not be logistics and fulfillment, in which case they introduce the idea of a third party doing some or all of their film and business. 
obviously what we're in the business of is being able to be the expert for these brands, for the companies that to your point, maybe they don't need to know how to warehouse. They don't need to know how to get the orders out the door. They just need someone to do it. That's an important call out. I think we're going to see a continued rise in the utilization of 3PLs for a lot of those brands. I want to say the next thing, talking about Argon, the company, yourselves, What's a good way for someone to go find you all online? I know I'm sure we can go to a LinkedIn post, but do you have something you could share to make it easier for the listeners? We have a global site, which is Argon, A-N-D, Co. So it's argonandco.com. And then there's French versions, English versions, and U.S. English versions. So depending where you are, it'll tie directly into that. But it's a pretty good website that shows the different offices and the people and the services we do. And certainly some of them are in the conversation we're having today. Many of them have, I won't say have little to do, but they're very different. We have some offices heavy in finance. Almost every office is pretty heavy in logistics. Everybody has a capability in operations. There's a big discussion in transformation. So we're not looking at just receiving or a small part of a facility. We really want to change the way a company works and acts in the kind of productivity you get out of that company and the way they do things. But it's pretty easy to find this. Excellent. Zach Bruce, thanks again for joining on the podcast today. For our listeners, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment. We hope to hear from you next time or very soon in the future. Thanks so much, Austin. Thank you, Austin. Appreciate the time.